It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Thursday edition. It's a very busy time of the year, politics-wise and otherwise. Lots going on. We just came home from New Hampshire, where I had the privilege of uh, being with both Terry, my wife, and Mary Langston. So I can't imagine two better travel companions. But I was amazed, Mary Langston. You know, you see... You see it on television, and it is so flawless, and it just appears, I don't, I don't want to say it appears easy, it's just flawless. But you and I were up there in New Hampshire, and all of the work that goes on behind the scenes to make it appear to be flawless on air is amazing. It really is, and just to think about like all they have to set up, I mean, the lights, the cameras, the backgrounds, everything. The timing. So many parts of life. Like I just, I, I called a judge friend of mine just now. He said, call me when you can. So I, I call him when I can. I called him. Obviously, mm-hmm. that'd be one of the like priority phone calls you return <laughs> to a federal judge. But right. television, you know, Somebody's supposed to be there at 8.57. And if you're not there at 8.57, someone's got to be like good enough to stall or buy time. or, And then you look at the ones that do it, like all the election coverage, and I immediately, like Brett and Martha are, are always on election night. Hemmer at the board, Dana, Britt Hume. I mean, all of them who have, you know, we watch elections and debates, and they're you know, ubiquitous. They're 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 always present, but just the the ease with which they do it, they make it look so easy, and it is not easy. So uh, I don't know. I was I was I was amazed. Watch, watch I'd never seen it at, at that level of uh, micro detail before. That's right. And they're in the field, too. So they're going to different events and talking with people and then transitioning back to the studio settings and having to do that at all hours. So it's amazing what all goes into it. Like you said, even in Iowa as well, it's fascinating to see just all the hard work that goes into all of that. and, and, And yet, you know, what we see is such a small part of all of the work that goes Right. I mean, months before, too. I mean, I'm sure even a year before they're thinking about it. Well, I mean, where are you going to stay? Where are you going to put this show? Where are you going to how are you going to stage it? Where are you going to get the uh, like the the metal steps that we had to walk up to to mm-hmm. get to what do they call it? The box. Is that what they called it? That's or, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was in the middle of a parking lot and they built this huge box. It's incredible what they can do. Yeah. And then they well, were telling me tear down is so quick. 
you know, they set up for several days and then when they tear it down, it's just really fast. And then they're on to the next thing. On to the next thing. And, um, well, well, they're, that probably wasn't one of the questions for your podcast, <laughs> for the Mary Langston podcast, <laughs> but, uh, but I wanted to go ahead and get that off my chest that well, we've been to New Hampshire. Did. It was amazing. I had the two best travel companions anybody can possibly have. And we're back in rainy, cold South Carolina. <laughs> we're back and we're grateful for the time. And I guess we'll get started with our great questions today. We have three and we'll start with a question that we've actually received from several listeners who ask, can a presidential candidate choose a VP from the same state? You know, there, uh, let me say a couple things. Not only have we gotten that question a lot, that question came up while we were in New Hampshire off air, sitting around, you know, I had the pleasure of one particular time of being on a panel with uh, Mr. Britt Hume and Ms. Dana Perino and Martha McCallum and Brett Baer and Shannon Bream. And you've got all these people who are so knowledgeable about politics and the law and the Constitution. And that question came up. And they're, they're different views. Like most legal issues, there's a majority opinion, there's a minority opinion. I have always been of the opinion that there is no constitutional bar to a president and a vice president being from the same state. In other words, it's not forbidden. It's just not wise. It's not smart. And therefore, it's rarely done. And not to, not to walk too, too far down memory lane. In the old days, you ran for president, and whoever came in first was the president. Whoever came in second was the vice president. So they may or may not have gotten along with each other. And, and oftentimes they were rivals. So the lead vote getter becomes president. The second lead vote getter becomes vice president. And they may, they may be enemies. They may be political enemies. So then we switched and we decided that we were going to let the president and the vice president run together. And then we had this amendment to the Constitution, which states the electors... Actually, it may not be an amendment. It may just be part of the Constitution. But the electors shall meet in their respective states and vote by ballot for two persons of whom one at least shall not be an inhabitant of the same state with themselves. So that's a very complicated way of saying that the electors, remember, we don't pick presidents based on popular vote. It's an electoral college. So the way I look at it, this means the electors, those that are sent from the state of South Carolina to vote in the electoral college, cannot cast their vote for a president and a vice president who happen to be from the same state. That doesn't mean they can't run together. And of course, you're going to cast your electoral votes for the presidency, for the, for, for the person running for president, because that's the more important of the two. So let's come up with this fact pattern. Well, we got two, I guess, at play. Let's assume that President Trump is the nominee 
and he picks Senator Marco Rubio as his running mate. And they're both from Florida, I guess. I guess that's their, both their legal residences. It definitely is for Marco. So the electors could vote from Florida, as I understand it, could vote for President Trump for president, but they could not cast their electoral votes for Marco Rubio for vice president. In a race that's not close, it doesn't matter. You can still prevail without those electoral votes. In a close race, you could have, in theory, a President Donald Trump serving with Vice President Kamala Harris. Same could be true in South Carolina if, you know, Governor Haley decided to pick Tim Scott as a running mate. That would be a less dicey proposition because there are fewer electoral votes in South Carolina than there would be in Florida. So, yes, you can. And keep in mind, what, what, what our framers were concerned about really wasn't what we have now, which is Republican versus Democrat. That's the great divide in our country now. They were worried that one state would have too much power that Virginia would have too much power or South Carolina would have too much power. So that's what they were concerned about. They would probably be very surprised that it's not based on state now. It's based on political orthodoxy. So I am of the opinion that, yes, Dick Cheney did not need to say he was from Wyoming uh, to be George Bush's vice president. They could have both been from Texas, but there's a price to pay when the Electoral College meets. That's my view of it, but there is another view, and someone who is welcome to say, uh, just like my con law professor said in law school, uh, no, Trey, you're wrong about all of that. They're welcome to say that. But my view is there is no constitutional bar. It's just not wise. And therefore, it's rarely done. Does that make sense? It does. Yes, sir. Thank you for answering that one. Because we've gotten it on all ends. Like you said, you got it when we were in New Hampshire. And then we've had it. People write in about it. So this because definitely- so often on television, people say, well, you can't pick, like Donald Trump can't pick Marco Rubio because they're from the same state. Or you can't do this because they're from the same state. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between you can't. And it's not wise. There is no bar to doing it. I don't think. Mm. It's just you run the risk of winning the presidency, but not winning the vice presidency. Which would be a big risk, I would think, for some people, at least. Uh, Yeah. How would you like to, you know, your vice president every day checks your pulse to See whether you're still alive. That wouldn't be a lot of fun, would it? No, it wouldn't. It would not be a lot of fun. Well, thank you for answering that question. We'll switch gears and we'll go to our next question from Cinderella in Ohio, who writes, when a candidate for president withdraws from an election, what is done with the money they raised, but they did not spend yet? It's a great question. Uh, Most campaigns, uh, Cinderella from the great state of Ohio, most campaigns probably end in debt rather than surplus. Mm. So they spend a lot of money, time trying to raise money to pay off their debt. But there are, I can name some, there are campaigns 
not the presidential level, but I mean, when I left Congress, there was money left in the campaign account. So it 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 does happen. Same with John Ratcliffe when he was picked to be the DNI, he had money in his campaign account. When Tim Scott got out of the presidential race, he had money left in his campaign account. So it does it does happen. I want to address your question backwards. The easy part first. What can you not do? You cannot use it for your own personal use. You cannot pay all personal debt. You cannot buy a house. You cannot make your mortgage payment. You cannot remodel a bathroom. You can't buy new, you know, irons or a Scotty Cameron putter or golf ball. No part of it can be used for personal reasons. So get that out first. What cannot, how can it be used? Start with how it cannot be used. Cannot be used for your own personal use. So what can you do? You can donate it to other candidates. You could donate it to the Republican or Democrat Party. You can return it to the donors on a prorated basis. So if somebody gave me $100 and I had, you know, 25% of my money left, I could return that money. I could return 25 cents to the per- $25 to the person who gave me $100. Um, you can just keep it, save it. Um, you have to file reports of what you're doing with it. You can never use that money for personal reasons. There, it's, so not in 10 years, not in 100 years, but you can leave it sitting in, a, in, in an account. You have to file paperwork about how the money's being spent. You can, like, you can donate it to other candidates that are running, but the FEC keeps very close tabs on where that money is, how it's being spent, making absolutely sure it is not being spent on what they call personal use. So can donate it to somebody else's running for office. Um, you can convert it to an advocacy pack or an or a leadership pack or an advocacy entity that is set up or designed to advocate for certain issues, or they say you can use it for other lawful purposes, which again, does not include using it for your own personal purposes. Some members donate their money to charity, or they set up a charity or a foundation to advance non-political causes. Uh, such as education or helping with at-risk youth or reintegrating people who have been imprisoned back in back into society once they have paid their debt. Uh, any other lawful, worthwhile endeavor, you can also donate your money for that. What you can't do is set up a foundation and then hire yourself to run the foundation because then that money becomes personal use, which is the one thing you cannot do. So... You got a lot of options with surplus campaign funds. It's pretty much the one option you cannot avail yourself of is doing something that benefits you personally. Thank you so much for answering that question. Thanks, Cinderella, for the question. We'll answer more of your questions when we come back. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Our last question's from Richard, who writes, if Hunter Biden takes the fifth on all questions, will he beat the system? 
Richard, I would argue that that is the system. So, no, not only is he not beating the system, that is the system. The system never requires you to incriminate yourself. Um, that has been our system for centuries. Uh, President Trump, if I were to think about it long enough, I am sure there have been instances throughout his business career or even his career in politics where he has had to utter those words, too, um, that, you know, I take the Fifth Amendment. I exercise my Fifth Amendment right. Where it gets a little bit dicey to me is whether or not you have a Fifth Amendment right not to incriminate yourself or you have a Fifth Amendment right not to talk, because those are two different things. And we'll get to that in a second. But Hunter Biden is under indictment. Hunter Biden is under felony indictment. He is facing possible prison time. He's also under investigation for other uh, potentially criminal conduct. So taking the fifth is what every lawyer in the world would advise him to do. There is a political calculus that maybe it looks dicey to take the fifth. So if you're in politics, you have to weigh and balance the risk of taking the fifth versus the risk of answering questions. But Hunter Biden is not in politics. So everyone would advise him to, to exercise his Fifth Amendment privilege. Now, the question is, what, the privilege to do what? And that's where it gets a little bit complicated. Well, it gets complicated on two, two points. What I just explained to you is what happens in court and executive branch investigations run by the U.S. Attorney's Office or a statewide grand jury. Where it gets a little bit complicated is whether Congress recognizes and therefore has to honor privileges, constitutional rights. And I know that sounds crazy, but there are some members of Congress who believe those rights and privileges do not apply to congressional investigations. There are some members of Congress who believe that you do not have the right to invoke the Fifth Amendment or attorney-client privilege or priest-penitent or doctor-patient or the spousal—I think there are two spousal privileges. But there are some members of Congress who say, that doesn't apply to Congress. I'm not in that group. <laughs> I, I I, I am, I've never been in the group that thinks that the Fifth Amendment doesn't apply to congressional investigations, but there is a group that says that's a whole different animal, but I'm not in that group. The more challenging question to me is whether there's a general right to not talk or if it's a specific right to not incriminate. So we'll use an example. Okay, Mary Langston, you still awake? I'm still awake. All right, let's pick the most absurd hypothetical in the world, okay? Okay. That you would ever do anything wrong. Mm -hmm. so, so let's start with that, okay? A fact pattern that will never happen. So we're sitting down. I'm the sheriff's deputy. I'm the detective that's interviewing you, and you're the, you're the suspect. You're the target. Okay. Actually, it gets a little bit more complicated than that. Miranda the right to remain silent, all of that stuff only applies to in-custodial interrogation. So you have to be in custody mm. and being asked questions. It doesn't apply to non-custodial interrogation. So let's say that you're in custody. You're not free to leave. Okay. 
and I suspect you of something, then I say, tell me your name. All right. Do you have to answer my question? I have no idea. Of course you don't, because you've never been in trouble before, <laughs> nor would you ever. Your name probably does not incriminate you. Okay. But it might. Hmm. Maybe it's a case of false, of, of stolen identity. I mean, more often than not, me asking you, what is your name? The answer does not incriminate you. But sometimes it might. Mm. So is it a general right to not answer questions, or is it a specific right to not incriminate yourself? And it might be that you go on a question-by-question -question basis, and a judge has to rule Nope, that the answer to that question would not incriminate you, and therefore you have to answer it. Or the answer to that question might incriminate you, and therefore you do not have to. And then where if you if that's not complicated enough for you, then someone may come in and say, Mary Langston, I give you immunity. Mm -hmm. You're not gonna you're not gonna be charged. Now you have to answer the questions because you're not you're not subject to incrimination. The answers cannot get you in trouble. I've given you immunity. Mm. But then that gets into use immunity versus transactional immunity. Is it just immunity for purposes of this conversation and in this fact pattern and this alleged crime? Or is it transactional immunity for anything you ever may have done? It gets very complicated. Oh so... Uh, all of which would make possibly for an interesting uh, law school exam question. Mm. It doesn't really uh, help us here because Biden's under indictment and there's n nothing good, I don't think, that can come from him answering questions. Um, and you can't make someone talk. You can, you can make them calm. You can go send the marshals. You can go send the cops. They can arrest you. They can bring you. They can put you at the table. No one can make you talk. Can, they can put you in jail, hold you in contempt until you decide to talk. But no one can make you talk. So you've seen 24, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and Jack Bauer can make you talk. But that, <laughs> that stuff's illegal. You can't do that. <laughs> That's a little different. Yeah, it's a lot different. Oh. <laughs> so... It's it's more it, it's complicated. I do understand. I say I understand. I used to very well understand this notion that if someone refused to cooperate, refused to talk, refused to answer questions, that we kind of assigned a presumption of guilt to them. I mean, it's human nature for us to think, well, if you haven't done anything wrong, why would you not talk? You agree with me? I mean, it's just kind of mm -hmm. human nature. Mm -hmm. All of that changed for me with the Fortenberry case. And I mm -hmm. tell people, unless you know the cop and know the prosecutor, don't talk. Because they may ask you, I mean, I may say, Mary Langston, spell your name for me. And you may decide it's a hyphen day or you may decide it's not a hyphen day. Mm -hmm. You may say it's Mary dash hyphen uh, Langston. I mean, Mary hyphen Langston or Mary no dash langston mm -hmm. 
So am I going to charge you with making a false statement if I don't like whether you have a dash or not? Man, I never, I never thought I would think that way, but I, I, mm -hmm. unless you know the cop asking you questions and will the prosecutor involved, uh, I'd, I'd do all my talking to a lawyer from now on. So well, hopefully that answers the question about Hunter Biden. Well, thank you for answering that question and for breaking it down for us. And those are all the questions we have for today, Trey. Remember when you were thinking about going to law school? I do remember that. I remember you telling me to think about it and research and see what I thought about it. Now that you hear the answer to some of these questions, are you pretty sure you don't want to go? I'm pretty certain I would not be gifted in that department. No, I'm glad there are people that are, but I would not be in that category. Uh, you're too nice to be a lawyer. No, you're plenty <laughs> gifted, but it it's there are so many different sides to almost to almost all of this. And I do definitely I definitely get the optic that if somebody's not willing to talk, that they must have done something wrong. I mean, that's mm -hmm. just human nature. Richard has touched upon it. We're we're all sort of wired that way. It just oftentimes has uh it has layers of complexity to it that um are not are, are not always apparent at first blush. So mm -hmm. all right, before we go, I'm gonna ask a question for you. What was your favorite part of New Hampshire? Oh man, that's difficult. I guess I would say just spending time with you and Terry and being able to learn what all goes into what they do. Basically what we talked about earlier in the podcast. But I always love our walks with Terry. I mean, I walked several laps with Terry earlier this week, and it's just fun being with y'all. So when I'm not there, obviously I'm not there to listen to y'all. Do y'all, <laughs> are, are y'all as nice when it's just the two of y'all as you are when other people are around? Or do y'all ever decide, you know, hey, let's like be more like Trey and Radcliffe or... <laughs> more like like let's <laughs> let's be sarcastic let's do y'all ever decide that I think or is it probably... always this level of kindness that most of us just can't relate to well i'm thinking you probably know the answer to that question but you know y'all are the same way when it's sarcasm but maybe there's a day we could do it i don't know would either <laughs> one of y'all recognize it if if, if one were sarcastic <laughs> Most likely no, but you just never know. We'll see. <laughs> oh, my Lord. I just, the two kindest people on the face of the earth. I just, I cannot imagine what those walks are like. And and I'm <laughs> back in the room watching crime dramas. <laughs> and y'all are out there praying for the rest of the world. Well, we mm -hmm. loved having you there. And uh, mm -hmm. I guess it's on to Nevada and then South Carolina and then Super Tuesday. And we'll see where things take us. That's right. We'll see where it takes us and we'll be back next Thursday. That sounds great. Take care of yourself. Thank you so much for your questions and we'll see you in a week. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.